Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. We're going to start with a little uh, a little prayer here. Uh, I'd like you to cast your eyes up to the screen. This is a... Um, a beautiful depiction of the scene I'm, I'm going I'm to uh, read through from, um, is it Matthew's Gospel? The Good Samaritan? Or is that Luke? I should know. It's one of them, and it's a, it's a, it's a really good one. Um, yeah. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert replied, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Lord Jesus, you are the good Samaritan. And every single one of us, in so many ways, we're the man in the ditch. That life leaves us, leaves us beaten and half dead. The bruises we get along the way, the sicknesses that we incur, the spiritual wounds, all of it, Lord. You see us and you're not passing by on the other side of the street, but you come real close to our wounds. That you press yourself into all that makes us feel so weak and poor. You're not repulsed by it, but you draw near to it. And so tonight, Lord, as we dive into these two beautiful sacraments of healing, reconciliation and anointing, give us grace, Lord, to see how beautiful it is that you seek our hearts and our healing. Make this prayer, Lord, in your mighty and holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's so many ways... Uh, so many ways to interpret that parable. There's so many homilies I've heard, um, homilies I've preached about with 
you preached about this parable. Um, I just want to share it tonight as an icon of Jesus' authentic heart, right? So if you came, who, who was at the mission? Who came to the mission with Father Ryan? So in Father Ryan's mission, he talked about Jesus' heart, um, that it's kind, which is not like this ooey-gooey nice thing. It's he truly cares. Like he's com- he has compassion. His inaugural address in the synagogue at Nazareth is, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to heal, right? That this is an icon of Jesus' authentic heart. He's drawn to our weakness. He's drawn to our pain. He's drawn to that place in us where we're, where, yeah, he's drawn to all that stuff in us where he can save us. That's what he's drawn to. We so often think that our junk, our stuff, our, the sins of our past, the habits that we hide in the dark, all of that stuff, we so, we're so conditioned by this fallen world to think that that's a liability to the Lord having relationship with us. Like, oh my gosh, if I could only just get this sin under control, if I could only stop doing this thing, if I could deal with this, if I can make myself look a little bit holier, then the Lord will be like, yeah, I see you. You're great. Let me hang out with you. The, the spiritual life is not trying to attract God's attention. The spiritual life is just letting him work on us. I was thinking about this in your scrubs, Deacon, because of your work as a dentist, that like as a dentist, part of the reason why I hate going to the dentist <laughs> is that the dentist always works at the site of the pain. Right? He's always working on the part that hurts. Right? Right? That's part of why it sucks to go to the dentist, right? <laughs> is this the tooth that hurts? Yeah! God, stop poking it, right? Yeah. Can I just drill uh, oil well in your face, right? That's like, it's, yeah, it's like the dentist is always going to work at the site of the rot, right? The site of the, the decay in the cavity. Yeah, I. This is probably, I don't know, this is too much information, but I, for years and years, I was on a type of medication that really messed with my enamel, and uh, which meant that I got cavities, like, you wouldn't believe. So I went to the dentist one time, and they're like, so, you have 11 cavities? I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, do I even have that many teeth? Right? Like, like this. They're like, so do you, like, just eat Laffy Taffy and drink Mountain Dew all day long? I'm like, no, I even floss, right? Anyway. All right, so Jesus, as like in this icon of the authentic heart of Jesus, he's always moving to the pain. He's moving to the wounds. He's moving to the weakness. He's moving to our fragility. I, I often like to meditate on the, like, the human realities that formed Jesus, right? We say in our creed, he's true God and true man. man. True God and true man, which means that he was formed by first century Jewish world, first century Jewish culture. He was formed in a particular time and place, there was, there was sights and sounds and smells that, that formed the divine imagination of Jesus. You know, like when he talks about a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It wasn't until I went to the Holy Land in 2017 um, and actually went to Nazareth. You see that there is, close to Nazareth, there's this big town that's up on, it's the, you know, the ruins of a town, but it's up on this big hill, the city of Sepphoris. And you're like, yeah. Like, Jesus would have seen that every day, living, walking through the fields, and Nazareth, like, and they're separate. Like, it can't be hidden, right? Or I think about, you know, when he was sharing the parable of the prodigal son, which uh, 
if you didn't, if, I mean, you're all going to come to the five o'clock mass this coming Sunday, but the other masses this weekend, that's the, that's the gospel. We got a different gospel because of um, the scrutinies. But the parable of the prodigal son, which could equally be called the parable of the prodigal father, the merciful father, you know, is it when Jesus was sharing that, was he, did he have in his mind, um, like Joseph, like certainly he had Joseph in mind. Like Joseph, who is just dripping with tenderness and power and authority and kindness and compassion, you know? Like I think about Mary and Joseph a lot in these ways, that they filled, like that, those two filled with such tenderness and love, they were attentive to all of his little wounds, probably even more so, right? Like the panic they felt when they lost him during Passover, right? I mean, you, you've done a lot of bad sins, all of you, in your lifetime. I'm, I'm, I'm calling you out. But you've never lost God, right? Like, in a caravan. Like, that's pretty bad, right? Like, I thought it was your turn to watch him, you know? They lost him, right? They lost him. And just imagine after that, you know, like every mom is super attentive to their little ones. But how much more so was Mary? How much more so was Joseph attentive to... Like every scrape, every bruise, every tear, every cry in the night, they must have been so attentive. And like Jesus, the Lord learned to rush towards our pain and our suffering because like they did that for him. I want to show you this clip um, from the Passion of the Christ, which is, uh, yeah, we'll just watch it. Oh, hold on. Discuss amongst yourselves. Chris, you know any jokes? Uh, have you guys heard about the one about the mountain? It's hilarious.
I realize the subtitles were cut off, but she's saying to him, when she rushes to him, that flashback, she says, I'm here, I'm here. She says the same thing when she comes to him and he falls there on the side of the road, I'm here. That image of the rushing to the pain, rushing to the weakness, that's Jesus. That is the authentic heart of Jesus. He's so intensely interested in our healing. Even the name Savior, right, comes from like the idea of salvation, salus in the, in the, uh, in the Latin, meaning like healing and wholeness. Like to be healed by Jesus, to be saved by Jesus is to be healed by Jesus, right? They're so interconnected. And he gave us, he gave us two sacraments that impart healing for us. And those are the two that we're talking about tonight, anointing of the sick and the sacrament of reconciliation. In both of these, Jesus acts as um, like divine physician, divine physician. He's the one who gave us that image, who said like the sick need a physician. I came to call sinners. The sick need a physician. The healthy do not need a physician, but the sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is the one who equates, he's the one who makes this connection for us, right? He's the one who's saying, I'm the divine physician. Like I said a moment ago in his inaugural homily in Nazareth, I, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the brokenhearted, to set captives free. Like, this is what he's interested in. But here's the difference. Unlike all of our doctors and surgeons, right, this is not the environment in which Jesus, the divine physician, operates, right? This is where you operate in your scrubs, right? Like, don't get your grossness on me, right? Like, that's, that's, that's the idea, right? Surgeons today, if the physicians today, they work in these sterile, antiseptic, you know, environments where there's boundaries and PPE, we all know what that means now because of COVID, right? But unlike the surgeon, this is, this is how Jesus moves. He reaches out, he touches, he encounters us in our brokenness, in our brokenness. Um, you know, I was just, the, the image I just had in my mind is the, um, I don't have it in the slideshow, I should, but the, uh, it's the resurrection scene that Caravaggio paints. It's the, we're doubting Thomas, incredulous Thomas is like, Jesus is guiding his finger into Jesus's wound in his side. And Jesus, you can see under his, he's still got like dirt under his fingernails. Like he's, he's encountering us in the raw. He's encountering us in the raw. So there's limitations though to this analogy of the divine physician because, and these limitations are very problematic because like we don't go to physicians so that we can keep going to physicians, right? Like, no one goes to the doctor thinking and hoping, man, I can't wait to come back here tomorrow. You know, like, I hope I can become very dependent on this doctor. Yeah? Like, ideally, you go to the doctor so that you don't go to the doctor ever again, right? Like, that would be ideal. Anybody who deals with any kind of chronic illness knows this and feels this in your bones. Like, just the, I mean, I, I have a, I've got an autoimmune eye disease. And I mean, this is the longest stretch I've gone since I've seen my doctor. Um, not like, you know, I can see my doctor, but like, <laughs> I just haven't been to the Cleveland Clinic in a long time. But like, for, pretty much from seventh grade until about two, three years ago, I mean, I was at the Cleveland Clinic. There was some stretches of time where I was there what, at least once a week. 
doing appointments and you know from ninth grade until my sophomore year of college every six weeks I was doing infusion therapies you know um, and, and you just like you hate the dependency that's created um, that you feel towards the doctor and I think that's where, like, when we think about healing and Jesus, I think we think about it in those same terms. Like, if you would please just fix me so I could be on my merry way. Like, let's just fix me so I could be better, right? Just fix me. The problem, if you went to the mission, you heard Father Ryan say, you're not, a, you're not Ikea furniture, right? You're not a piece of Ikea furniture, right? You're not a broken thing that needs fixed. You're a person that needs to be loved. Like, the way that Jesus heals his method of healing is not by giving us like grace as medicine in certain prescription dosages. The way that he heals us is by giving us himself. There is no healing apart from union with Jesus. Like This is going to come out as we talk tonight. Um, we don't get fixed. We get healed into union, healed into communion, healed into relationship healed into relationship. He will never heal us on such a fundamental level, at least at least not in that way that we stop needing him. You know, St. Paul talks about, uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, he talks about this weird thing. Scripture scholars have debated, you know, since he wrote the dang letter, what he meant by it. But he talks about receiving this thorn in the flesh. I always imagine it's in his side because that just feels like an awful place to get a thorn. Maybe it was his big toe. I don't know. But he talks about the Lord gave me this thorn in the flesh. And then he said, it's like an angel of Satan to beat me down and keep me from being too elated. And he said, I would ask the Lord, take this from me. It's like three times I asked him, take this from me. And three times the Lord said in response, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, one of the things as a confessor, I hear all the time in confession is, is this sense of, I just want the Lord to heal me of this thing, this this habit, this sin, this pattern of sin. And because, you know, person keeps coming week after week, month after month with the same, it's the, it's the same list, right? If the Lord would just heal me of this. You know, and what I've, what I've come to see as both a sinner and as a confessor is that oftentimes those things that the Lord permits to remain in us, he permits there, um, because that's the only kind of chemotherapy that treats the deeper cancer of this belief that we have that says, if I could just be fixed, then I wouldn't, then I could be finally free of needing God, or then I would finally be lovable. The Lord's like, no, like I'm going to let, I'm going to let permit you to continue to struggle with this, not because I hate you, not because I want you to suffer, but because through this, I'm teaching you, I'm bringing about in you a deeper healing on a deeper level. It's the only method of healing that he has available to him for those deeper sins. I'm, I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. All right. Actually, I got a great quote on this. There are weaknesses God frees us from, but others he leaves with us precisely so that we stay small and poor and dependent on his grace, compelled to keep calling out to him all the more. It's supposed to be all the more. Blessed weakness that impels us to call on God, for God hears the prayer of the poor and comes to help them. I just want to zoom in for a second on uh, these words. Precisely so that we stay small and poor 
and dependent. Okay, in our culture, in this fallen world, the upbringing that we have, as you become an adult, imagine someone like you overheard someone describing you to like friends or coworkers. They're like, oh yeah, that Serger guy, he is so small and poor and so dependent. <laughs> you are (laughs) like those words they strike us very deeply like I don't ah, like I don't want to be small and poor and dependent right maybe I'm the only one am I the only one I don't know I just think that like there's this deep Luciferian rebellion in our hearts that goes all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden that says I want to be my own man. I don't want to need you, Dad. I want to be my own man. To be small and poor and dependent. Here's what this looks like. Now, none of us remember this time of our lives. Those of you who are parents... When you think about your kids when they were like this, seems like a pretty good deal to me. My, uh, my friends just had a, another baby the other day. Um, it's my, my newest goddaughter. Her name is Casey. I was holding her the other day. I was over at their house. She's seven pounds. And I'm like a big dude to begin with. So holding the seven pound baby, I'm like, oh my gosh, right? But like her whole life is like comfort and love and in, like immediate satisfaction of her like needs you know in the scriptures where in the psalm where god says open wide your mouth and i will fill it like it's a nursing baby you know like i love that psalm yeah as a dentist open wide your mouth crown him with many crowns <laughs> Oh, man. Or you could do uh, the, um, oh, never mind. <laughs> anyway, Jesus, this is, these are the words of Jesus. These are not my words. These are his words. Unless you become like a child. Anyone know how's, how this sentence ends? You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot, I repeat, enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, we could probably just stop there for tonight. Let that sink in, you know? I, mean, I guess I haven't talked about any of the, the two sacraments yet, but... <laughs> this, is, um, this is one of those conditional statements that he gives us that you have to wrestle with. So what does he mean by this? Like, in fact, even the word that he uses for child isn't like, be like a, like a five-year-old who can do some things, but not other things, right? Because five-year-olds, they can do some things, but, you know, like not a lot of, not a lot, not a lot of things, right? Like, c- c- pick up your toys, put your shoes on. Okay, come here, I'll tie them, you know. Um, I'll, cut your, I'll cut your meat, you use the fork, right? You can do some things, but not a lot of things. I think that's what we really want. When we hear Jesus say, become like a child. Okay, all right, all right. 
I'll, I'll be, I'll like get down to a, like a point where like, I'll let you do a lot for me, but I still want to be able to do some things, man. He's like, no, no, I want you to be this. Like to the point where you can't even lift up your head. You're just like, like, it's like that's what a saint looks like. If you do like a spiritual MRI of a saint, they look like a, like a newborn interiorly their heart it's just like father even jesus says i can't do anything on my own i only do what i see my father doing i only say what i hear him saying you ever notice that we like jesus is identified by being like the eternal child of god like he's the son of god he's the eternal child he's the eternal little one who's so happy to come into the world carried to leave the world carried he comes into jerusalem carried on the back of a donkey he leaves the tabernacle carried in the hands of a priest he's like yeah i'll be a little one because it's safe to be little when you are perfectly loved i want to go back to this sometimes he heals our weaknesses but sometimes he gives us the grace to live with them trustingly to accept them peacefully to accept ourselves as weak and limited that is real humility to accept ourselves as we are to love ourselves as we are and it attracts god's grace very powerfully Ooh, that's that's powerful like Jesus in his ministry, he moved and he continues to move towards human frailty, whether that's like physical frailty, spiritual frailty, moral frailty, like a, uh, like a battlefield doctor. Like he's rushing to it. Like Mary rushing to Jesus. Um, I want to show you another clip. I just, I kind of want to bombard you with some different images and clips tonight to kind of capture these different dimensions of Jesus's heart. Have you seen uh, the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Who's seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? All right, this is your this is your homework for uh, um, Holy Week, to watch Hacksaw Ridge with the lens of the Passion, Death, and Resurrection on. So Hacksaw Ridge is the true story of uh, Desmond Doss, who is a Seventh Day Adventist. Uh, he he's a conscientious conscientious objector during World War II. Um, he didn't want to carry a rifle. Everyone in his platoon thought he was a big scaredy cat. Turns out he was made of more courage than all of them combined um so him and his platoon they they they're involved in this huge battle um on hacksaw ridge was it iwo jima okinawa Okinawa? okay i mean it was just like devastating and so like there's this huge retreat and they have to come down this sheer cliff and all these all these guys are like basically stuck wounded in the battlefield so he's he's a he's a medic he's a combat medic and uh, in this scene, he's just like praying, asking God, like, I can't hear you. I don't know what, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he, you'll hear, you'll hear, um, you'll hear what he responds to. Come on, we gotta get out of here. Oh, never mind. I, I cut that part out. Oh, maybe I didn't.
Jesus right there. Like that is the incarnation. That is Jesus just like walking into the midst of hell. Like that's him walking into the midst of this crazy fallen world. Right? Who heard what, what his prayer there? Like, I don't understand. What do you want from me? I can't hear you. And then what does he hear? Someone's shouting. Panic. And he goes, all right. Right? That's Jesus. He's drawn to the pain. He, he runs towards it. I think about what does Desmond Doss look like as a priest? It looks like St. Damien of Molokai. It's amazing, amazing Belgian priest. This is the before and that's the after. It says he was, uh, he begged to have this assignment, assignment, this assignment um, to serve a leper colony in, uh, off the big island of Hawaii on the island of Molokai. He begged to serve the lepers. He wanted to go where, there were the, where the pain was, where the suffering was. And he contracted leprosy with those he served, and he, and he died. Amazing story of St. Damien, that he, um, other priests and bishops would not, they wouldn't come to the island for fear of contracting leprosy. So a, a bishop was going by on a boat um, one day, and he needed to get to confession. And so he just like waded out into the water and just was like screaming his confession to the bishop on the boat. Like, like I don't care. Like, I did this 18 times. Ah, your excellency. You know, like he's just screaming it. Like that's a dude who's like desperate for healing, who understands the only path to the healing that I need is right there, right? Like that is a guy who gets it. That's a guy who gets it. Listen to this from St. John Paul II. He says, Jesus healed the sick, consoled the afflicted, fed the hungry, freed people from deafness, from blindness, from leprosy, from the devil, and from various physical disabilities. Three times he restored the dead to life. He was, I love this line. He was sensitive to every human suffering, whether of the body or of the soul. He was sensitive to every human suffering. Okay. What's included in that? Just cancer, right? Every human suffering. Every human suffering. Like, I love this scene where Jesus, like, he takes time out of his very important world-saving Messiah schedule, you know? Here I am to redeem all of the universe to save humanity, like, Simon, I hear your mother-in-law has a fever. Well, I'm going to do something about that. Anybody here ever had a fever before? <laughs> Pretty life-threatening, those fevers, you know? It's basically like bone cancer, I hear, right? Like, like, like Ebola, you know? It's like on that level, right? Like, no! Like, it's not the same. But he's like, oh, fever, that's, that stinks. Can I help you with that? Right? Here's the point of this, that... We leave Jesus out of, like, we do the, I'm fine. Go take care of, like, I don't know, Darfur or something. I'll, I just got a hangnail. Go take care of the Congo, <laughs> you know. Go take care of people in, like, the hospitals. Like, just don't even worry about me. Like, I'm good, you know. I, I, he's sensitive to every human suffering. Like, his heart is moved by paper cuts and holocausts. And like we have a, I mean, even saying it's like, well, like really? Every human suffering, every human suffering. 
or this, uh, this one from Pope Benedict. Healing is an essential dimension of the apostolic mission and of Christian faith in general. When understood at a sufficiently deep level, this expresses the entire content of redemption. Healing. And like, if you think back all the way to the fall, when I gave that first session about like that overarching vision of things, God made this incredibly beautiful creation. And he placed us at the pinnacle of it. But sin entered in and and it like created this cacophony, this chaos, this it disrupted everything. It like crumpled the masterpiece. It wounded it. It it, it damaged it. Like Jesus came to put all the pieces right. He came to heal the whole thing. And like I said before, he's not interested in just like bibbity bobbity boo fixing you. He's interested in like healing you into communion, into wholeness. Like we've been disintegrated. He wants to reintegrate us. Like part of what part of what drew people to Jesus in the gospels, when you look at his ministry, part of what a major part of what drew people to Jesus was this healing ministry that he did. Like it's very hard to imagine um, his ministry taking off at all if there weren't these healing miracles. Like it was a huge part of his ministry. And also like try if you can to imagine what it'd be like to be someone in the ancient world before there was modern medicine or penicillin or like like neosporin or band-aids or like there was no hospitals imagine if like you had some sort of i don't know if you had any kind of illness whatsoever it's like well you're pretty much going to live with that for the rest of your life or it's going to kill you you know like like there was no hope there was no hope you break your leg maybe we can fix it maybe we can set it you know like there's no hope it's ever going to get better and then someone enters into that hopelessness enters into that blindness and totally fulfills your wildest hopes like what do you mean i can see again what do you mean i can hear again what do you mean i can walk again and like for simon's mother-in-law like what do you mean my fever's gone like what for us it's like i was i took a tylenol i took an advil i you know for them it's like this is it or nothing this is it or nothing. So for Jesus in the Gospels, the other thing that's really clear is that he, he understood physical sickness, physical ailments as like symbolizing deeper spiritual dysfunction, right? Deeper spiritual function that robs the soul of divine life. So physical blindness is a symbol of spiritual blindness, right? Physical deafness is a symbol of spiritual deafness, right? That's what, he, that's what he's interested in healing. But he manifests, his, he manifests his power and his sovereignty by actually healing the physically sick with these astounding miracles, right? Think about the paralytic who's lowered through the roof. He's low, he lowers this guy. They, his friends lower him through the roof, this paralyzed guy. We don't know if he was born paralyzed. We don't know if like, he had some injury where he became paralyzed. But regardless, the dude can't walk. He's lowered through the roof. He's probably thinking, this is insane. I hate my friends. I need new friends, right? <laughs> So there he is lying in front of Jesus, and Jesus turns to the Pharisees who are like, what is he about to do, right? Being all Pharisee. And, uh, and he asks them the question, he asks them the question, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, stand up, take up your mat and go home. Let's, let's answer his question. Which of those 
is just is easier to say. Your sins are like it's your sins are forgiven, right? Because how would anybody know if that actually happened, right? If he says, like, you know, like if I walk over to the the cow and I say, float up into the air and rain chocolate milk upon us, right? Like, and then it doesn't happen. People are like, that dude's not a real prophet, right? Like, he's got nothing, right? But if I say, cow, think happy thoughts, like, ha ha, you know, like, you can't disprove it. So, so he asked the question, he asked the question, but then he says, so that you know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins on earth, I say to you, cow, float. No, he says, I say to you, rise, take up your mat and walk. So like, he, he's clearly saying, I, I want to demonstrate through this physical healing, the authority I have to, to heal people on a spiritual level. To heal people on a spiritual level. Let's look at this quote from Pope Francis. Uh, wait, no, I don't have a quote from Pope Francis. I got a picture of Pope Francis. So, I remember seeing this picture. It came out during Holy Week when he was first uh, Pope. And uh, it just moved me to tears. I want to read this quote from the Catechism. Illness and suffering have always been among the gravest problems confronted in human life. In illness, man experiences his powerlessness, his limitations, and his finitude. Every illness can make us glimpse death. Illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature, helping him to discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward that which is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. I, I can't do a presentation without quoting C.S. Lewis, who said, Pain insists upon being attended to. Remember Father Ryan in the mission? When our hearts are in pain, they're like, Hey, hey, look at me. I, ouch, right? Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Do you think perhaps, I mean, we'll never know the reasons, but why God would have allowed a pandemic in a world that seems so hell-bent on just being like, la, 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 no, God, you're not real. I do what I want. You are not there, right? It sh shouts to rouse a deaf world. There's so many people who I think woke up to, through, through COVID, woke up to the fact, like the, the, the facticity, the fact that we are mortal. Like, you're going to die. Right? And like COVID showed up and it just seemed like this all-consuming thing that like death was looming everywhere. And like, oh my gosh, I could die. No, 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 that's not right. That's not true. You are going to die. Right? Like it might not be because of this, but like you are going to die. I don't know if I ever I don't know if I told you guys this story, but there was a when I did the the last things talk, the uh, I was at a dinner I was at a dinner, I was having a conversation with someone and they were 
they were talking about they went and bought grave plots for their their uh, parents went and bought grave plots and they were looking at caskets and then I was like that's not a bad idea maybe we should all do that and they're like the person said they're like well, I don't know if it's going to come to that I'm like <laughs> what you immortal being <laughs> like what <laughs> like you know like cryo freeze yourself like Elon Musk and you are going to hang out and like cryo suspension I don't know yeah. <laughs> All right, here's the thing. Most folks, most folks, I mean, unless you're like, a, I guess, a doctor or a nurse, most folks rarely have to face and confront the awful side of human suffering that arises from diseases in old age. But like, what, it's one of the most amazing privileges about being a priest that you get asked frequently, you get called frequently to charge into these situations to not only be near them in proximity, but you like, like you're not just like being close to it. You, you draw near, like so near and like touch it like you touch you touch sickness you touch death you touch those places that are racked with pain and like you close that gap of physical distance you know i i've often thought as a priest like the priest makes credible he makes good on jesus's promise he says like i won't you will not be abandoned in your pain like, that's why, like, anytime those, those calls come in to go anoint somebody, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. That doesn't happen often, thanks be to God. But <laughs> when it does, it's like, yeah, I'm going because, like, Jesus promised that I will be there in your pain. And he goes through me as a priest. Not, like, me and my ego, but, like, me and my brokenness. He's saying, like, I am attracted to your pain. I'm attracted to you in your pain. I'm attracted to you in your shame. I'm attracted to your wounds, your junk, your ugliness, your brokenness, your sinfulness. I don't need you to make yourself look pretty and presentable before I show up. Like, you can be there spiritually, all splayed open, sick in soul, and like just a mess. You can be in a hospital bed, like really, really messed up, and I'll still come to you, right? And in ministering these sacraments, Priests, like they draw, I'm going to go back to this. Priests, they incarnate the merciful love of Jesus. So let's get very clear about the anointing of the sick. So this is why we're, we're getting into some practicals here. Okay, so the anointing of the sick is not only, it's not just for the dying, it's not the sacrament for just the dying. Okay? Very, very clear on this. There's, there's no such thing as like the last rites who's raise your hand if you've heard this phrase last rites okay um the last rites are whatever happened to be like whatever rites happened to be the last one that the person received when they died so a person's last rites could have been confession it could have been anointing of the sick it could have been receiving of communion um yeah, there's, there's no such thing as like, oh, it's time for grandma's last rites. And then she just like lays down and folds her arms. <laughs> like, that's, that's not what this is. So according to canon law, let's talk about this. The anointing of the sick may be administered to the baptized faithful who have the use of reason. So you've got to be seven years old. Uh, that's what the church thinks use of reason is. <laughs> I didn't make the rules. <laughs> the use of reason and begin to fall into danger because of illness or old age. Those undergoing surgery, whenever a serious illness is the reason for the surgery, 
Elderly people, if they have become notably weakened, although no serious illness is present. And sick children, seven years or older, if they have sufficient use of reason to be strengthened by the sacrament. This is who can be anointed. These are this, this, it's very different than I think what most people think, which is like, oh my gosh, grandma's dying. Call the priest for last rites. Like, yeah, we'll show up for sure, but like, we could have come a little bit sooner before like 3 a.m., you know? So um, the point is, like, this is a very practical thing. Please do not wait to ask for someone you love to be anointed until they're like actively dying, right? Like you can have them anointed if you're like, like this, like, like notably weakened, although no serious illness is present. Because here's the thing. We all have this thing called mortality, we're all like stepping down into the grave slowly, bit by bit, right? You can be anointed in that situation. Like elderly folks in nursing homes, like, yeah, I'll come anoint you. Like, you don't have to be actively dying, right, from some disease process. But yeah, the Lord probably wants to like be with you in this weakening state of your life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So the form of the sacrament, so Deacon has talked about form and matter. The form of the sacrament is you use olive oil that's been blessed by the bishop. Um, the priest anoints, he does a cross on your forehead. He says, through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. And then upon your palms, may the Lord who frees you from sin, save you and raise you up. That's, that's the administration of the sacrament. Forehead, palms, olive oil blessed by the bishop. Where is this in the Bible? This is a very important question. Where do we see this in the Bible? It's not. We just made it up. Just kidding. Not true. Listen to this from the letter of James, which is a book of the Bible that Martin Luther was like, get that out of here. All right. So uh, James says this. Is anyone sick? Is Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the priests of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. What's this word? It's not might. It's will. This is a sacrament that heals, right? The sac- Here's the thing. The sacrament of healing, the anointing of the sick, always works. It always works. There's always a spiritual healing. There is sometimes physical healing as well. Always spiritual, sometimes physical. And I've seen wild, miraculous things doing this. So, this was an awesome moment caught on film uh, a number of years ago. This young lady here, her name is Victoria. Victoria was a camp counselor at this place called Damascus, which is this high adventure, high activity, high ropes, all that sort of thing. Um, she was a camp counselor for a bunch of these girls. And uh, it was the last week of camp, and she, was, she had a broken foot. She broke her foot and she was so bummed that she wasn't able to do any of these activities with the, with the girls anymore. And so she was limping around on this like in this like orthopedic boot thing. And I said, has anybody prayed over you? Have you been, have you been anointed? She's like, no. I'm like, want me to anoint you? I was feeling really into like the Holy Spirit that week, right? I'm like, let's do it, right? So I get out my oils, I get out my book. I pray over her. I did her forehead, I did her hands. And then I, uh, you can also like, you can make a little sign of the cross on like the part of the body that's injured or something like that. So I anointed her foot, and I just placed my hand on her foot, and I just started praying. I said, like, in Jesus' name, foot be healed. May all damage, bones damage, ligament damage, all that be healed. 
And uh, so I finished praying, and she sat down. She, she stayed on that bench, and then she swung both her feet over like this on, to sit down on the, to have them resting on the ground. She starts kind of going back and forth with her toes like this, okay? She's like, yeah. And she like stands up. She's like putting a little bit more weight on. And she stands on the formerly broken foot and starts jumping up and down, slamming her foot down on the ground. And she like looks up at me. She's like, I think it's healed. And I'm like, shut up. No, it's not. You mean this works? I was stunned. Stunned. Totally stunned. Absolutely stunned. It was unbelievable. So then she took that little boot thing and we walked over to the dumpster. She threw it away and like went on her merry way. And I'm just like, you know, like shocked. You mean Jesus is real? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was wild. I come home from this camp and then like I, one of the next days I get called to anoint this guy who's, uh, uh, he's got some type of cancer and I'm I, like, I get out my oils and I get out the book and I'm like, I had this moment where I'm like, Oh my gosh, last time I did this, it like worked. <laughs> like I pray over the guy, anoint him. There's no like, I, I was like, how do you feel? You know, like, <laughs> is it all gone? <laughs> you know, do you feel 50 years younger? He's like, yeah. yeah. Month later I did his funeral. So he's in heaven now. So, you know, he's fine. <laughs> sometimes there's physical healing. Sometimes there's not. Remember that Jacques Philippe quote, sometimes the Lord permits these sufferings to stay with us. All right. So let's. Did she become a nun? No, I did her wedding and I baptized their baby. Yeah. It's pretty great. I know. Their little girl's Magdalena Joy. She's a beautiful little girl. All right. Let's talk about confession. <laughs> uh, excuse me, mother. Sister, right. Do you know when Father Curtis has office hours? Well, not until tomorrow. Oh, I really need to speak with him. sins, my son. Uh, well, I, I should mention that I'm Jewish. Well, that's no sin. Oh, good. <laughs> anyway, I, I wanted to talk to you about Dr. Watley. I, I have a suspicion that he's converted to Judaism purely for the jokes. <laughs> and this offends you as a Jewish person? No, it offends me as a comedian. <laughs> It'll interest you to know that he's also telling Catholic jokes. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and they're all jokes. I mean, the Pope and Raquel Welch in a lifeboat. I haven't heard that one. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure you have. They're out on the ocean and yada, yada, yada. And she, she says, those aren't buoys. Uh, one second. 
Well, if it would make you feel better, I could speak to Dr. Wadley. Uh, I, I have to go back and have a wisdom tooth removed. Good luck. You know the difference between a dentist and a sadist, don't you? Um, Newer magazines. <laughs> That's funny. Now, if you'd excuse me. <laughs> Jimmy, I gotta talk to you. All right, so any questions about confession? <laughs> oh, man. All right, so. All right, the, the forgiveness of sins was so central to Jesus' message in the gospel, right? You just, it's just everywhere, right? Jesus and Mary Magdalene, right? This incredible encounter. Um, Jesus and the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Or this incredible scene where, like, you've got this... Um, by the way, this is a huge mural that's painted in uh, this church in Magdala, where Mary of Magdalene is from. This church in Magdala, it's the, the painting is probably like the size of the curtain, okay? It's massive, it's massive. And it depicts this scene in the gospel where the hemorrhaging woman pushes her way through the crowd. If I could only just touch him, then I'll be healed. And I love how the painter just depicts this moment right, just right here. Right? I just touched the hem of his tassel. And Jesus is like, whoa, something just happened, right? Power just went forth from me. Somebody just touched me. And all the disciples are like, hey, like what? Like we're in the crowd. You see everyone's touching you. He's like, no, no, no. Someone, there was power went forth from me. And the woman comes forward. She says it was her. And he says to her, my daughter, your faith has saved you. Go and sin no more. Right? Or with the woman caught in the act of adultery, he asks her, where are your accusers? He goes, I do not condemn you either. And he says to her, go and sin no more. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. The Pharisees, they were scandalized that he associated with like these public manifest sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. Like, again, he would say to them, like the healthy do not need a physician. The healthy do not need a physician. The sick do. I think it was St. Augustine. All right, let me make sure I can quote this right in my head. Um, St. Augustine who said that those who are lost in their passions are less lost than those who have lost their passions. Those who are lost in their passions are less lost than those who have lost their passions. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people who were like pushing forward, striving for, for more wealth, more power, more pleasure, more honor, more you know, all those things, the people who are caught up in all of this sexual sin that's led them to that place through all of this desire, da, 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 like all those, all that passion, like they were the ones who were so quickly able to recognize, oh, you're the one I was looking for. You're the one I was looking for, right? The lost sheep was so much more able to recognize the voice of the shepherd than these apparently well-to-do sheep who never strayed, the Pharisees, Right? Jesus would say to them, I came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus, after his resurrection, he, had, he entrusts the ministry of forgiveness of sins to the apostles. Right? He hands this on to them and to their successors. And we see this in the scripture. Again, like 
confession, just like every sacrament, is based on the words of, and actions of Jesus in the scriptures, right? Again, it's not like the church made up a sacrament. It comes straight out of what Jesus gave to the church, right? Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, we hear those words bind and loose. And we're like, uh, does that mean confession? You would, you would hear that, you would, you would understand it if you heard it through first century Jewish ears, right? The power of binding and loosing comes from the rabbinic tradition of accepting into, like, or borrowing one from the communion of the community, right? You can accept someone in, or you can, push, you can let someone stay out. Or this from John, John 20. After he had risen from the dead, Christ appeared to the disciples and told them, Peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them, saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. Like the first gift of the resurrection, first gift, is the sending of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. Right? Or this, Christ investing the apostles with that same power he had to forgive sins. Right? As the Father has sent me, sent me, so I send you. The Father sent me to do what? Forgive sins. So I send you to do what? Forgive sins, to reconcile sinners, right? This power was not just given to the apostles. It was also given like as a power, a gift proper to the office of being an apostle. Just like the command to preach and to baptize, just as that was handed down to, the, to their successors, so this power of forgiving of sins was also handed down to the apostles and their successors, right? So this, this, was, this was part of like the apostolic succession. So here's the question. How, though, like Jesus didn't spell this out, how would the forgiveness of sins be dispensed and communicated to people? Because Jesus didn't say, you will build confessionals. I don't know why he talks like that. He just does. You will build confessionals with little slidey doors and kneelers. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. So in the early church, in the early church, um, people reserved baptism for much later in life because baptism was the full forgiveness of sins it's like robert you're being baptized bro like i have such a holy envy of you like an envy like oh man like every sin everything gone upon your baptism and then it's probably going to be within like five seconds that you probably do your first venial sin. You're like, dang it! Right? <laughs> it's just how it goes. Just welcome to the club. Welcome to humanity, right? Right? So in the early church, they reserved baptism for like, like, oh yeah, he's dying. Let's get that. Let's call the priest. Let's get that baptism. Like Constantine, right? Right? This is, uh, you hear these, death, these deathbed uh, baptisms. Um. So, like, and then in the early church, if sin occurred after baptism, they were, um, the people would do public penances, right? So there was this thing called the order of penitence in the early church. The sinner would confess their sins to the bishop, who would impose a series of penances, usually to be undertaken during Lent. It could be fasting, it could be manual labor, it could be, like, go on a pilgrimage, you know, that's part of where pilgrimages came from, a caring for the poor, um... And while they were still doing these, these penances, they were supposed to wear these distinctive garments to like, uh, for people to know that they were in the order of penitence, that they were, that they like put ashes on their forehead and you know all those sorts of things. Um, 
Fast forward to like the time of the Irish monastics, these monks, they developed what we have as basically our current form of, of penance, of, of sacrament of confession, where you got the priest in a certain space, the person comes in, they confess their sins, it's private, and the priest imposes a penance, um, and that's kind of what we still have to this day. So how does it work today? For those of you who have never been to confession, who have I never been to confessions before? Okay. You got, you got your baptism, you'll be fine. <laughs> Okay, so in our church, did you do a tour of that? Did you show them where the confessionals are? All right, so we got these two confessionals. Um, the priest sits in the middle. There's a door on one side, a door on the other side. You can sit, go face to face. We can go behind the screen like Jerry did, right? Um, and when you go behind the screen, it really is totally anonymous, right? There, like the priest could see, like I can see who you are, right? Here, you can't, we can't see your face. You know, it's a real nice thing to be totally anonymous. You traditionally hear, you hear this thing where people come into the confessional and they start their confession saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been five months since my last confession. Okay, I have no idea where the phrase, bless me, Father, for I have sinned came from. Because like, like, no, I'm not going to bless you for you have sinned, right? Like that's, like, that's not what this is about, right? I will forgive you for you at your sin. It's not like, good job, you sinner, right? Like... <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. It's not in the ritual. It's not in the books. It's like, so you don't have to say that. You don't have to start by saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. You can start, you can say, Father, it's been, um, yeah, it's been five months since my last confession. You should know that I'm married. If you're married, like it's helpful as a priest to know a person's state in life, right? Um, just for context. And then, uh, and then the person, they just enumerate their sins. They list their sins as best they can. So again, for you folks who are going for the first time before Easter here, like before the class is over, we're going to give you uh, a, oh, you already got, do they already have? Okay, a hefty, but it's very helpful. It's a thorough uh, examination of conscience. What is an examination of conscience? It is a a list of things following the Ten Commandments. There's a lot, of, a lot of forms of examinations of conscience. But this follows the Ten Commandments, and it's just helping you to identify, or I would say diagnose those things where you have been in rebellion against God. Like those places in you that need healing. Right? So you ba like I would just, between now and Easter, take some time, maybe sit in front of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, go through that examination. And you want to pray to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is the one who convicts us of our sin. There's a difference between being convicted and accused. The enemy is the accuser who shames us of our sin, right? Like you are so bad because you do this. The Holy Spirit's the one who says, um, yeah, this is something that you, you've done. You got to bring up the Lord wants to heal you there. Like there's a different tone, right? So you would go through, you would just list the sins as best you can. Um, he'll listen. Maybe the priest will ask a question. He'll, he'll have something to say in response. He'll give some counsel. He'll then assign you a penance. So what's a penance? A penance is not a punishment. It's not like, okay, well, you need to pray 300 rosaries now because um, that was some pretty bad sin and you did, right? No, a penance is, um, it's usually a type of prayer, right? Like I've given some goofy penances in my day, um, but usually they're, they're like prayers, you know, like go pray three Hail Marys or, or go sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Go sit, uh, just stare at the crucifix for a while. Um, uh, I gave someone a penance once to go buy themselves a uh, McDonald's uh, vanilla ice cream cone. And uh, I won't say any more, but that was part of the penance. <laughs> it 
It was a brother priest. I was hoping that he would give me the same penance. <laughs> no, it served a purpose. It served a purpose. He just needed some, he needed some love, and he needed Jesus to have an ice cream cone with him. Okay, so then you'll pray what's called a, an act of contrition. You can, you, there's, there's specific um, ones that the church has in her tradition. Um, you can memorize the act of contrition. You can come in and you can read it off the card that's right there in front of you, or you can make one up. You can say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for sinning against you. I, I firmly intend with your grace to try as best I can to avoid sin and to love you as I should. You can, well, yeah, whatever, just an, a, a, like a, a genuine movement of your heart that says, Lord, I'm sorry, right? So that's an act of contrition. And then the priest prays over you uh, the prayer of absolution, which is the most in my mind, the most beautiful words in any language, the prayer of absolution. So those of you who have never been to confession, this is, this is the prayer that the priest prays over you in the name of Jesus and the person of Jesus that, that removes your sins. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. And I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's the most beautiful words. Like, these words are more powerful than when Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Because in that case, a dead man came back to life. In this case, souls who are spiritually dead come back to life. It's so powerful. So, so, so powerful also very powerful. I just think it's very funny. <laughs> we're in, we're a team, the big guy and I. All right, I want to say a quick, this is a great opportunity to talk about the, what we call the seal of confession. So there are two places that God has given us that are the safest places for our hearts to be laid bare. The first is prayer. And the second is confession, right? You don't do open heart surgery like on the beach, right? You do open heart surgery in a safe, sterile environment where like nothing's going to hurt or infect that heart. In the, within the confessional, it's the safest environment for you to open your heart, to expose your heart, the deepest places of your heart, to get totally spiritually naked because nothing that is said in the confessional, the priest cannot act on or reveal anything that's said in the confessional. So let me just give you like the, like a for instance. So if like, a, like, like Darla, if you were to confess that you use my toothbrush to clean my toilet, <laughs> if you were to tell me in the confessional, Father Patrick, I have felt so guilty about this, but I just like, I couldn't find a brush. So I just started using your toothbrush and I just get ready to get in there. And then I just put it back and I just like kept doing it. And I just felt so guilty. Like, oh my gosh. I don't know what kind of penance I would give you, but here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. The seal of confession is so safe. The priest cannot act on the knowledge and cannot divulge the knowledge. So you leave the confessional. I've absolved you. Next morning, I get up, I shower, I go to brush my teeth. I can't just like, oh, I just am deciding now to just not brush my teeth with this toothbrush. 
You can't act on the knowledge. You can't act on it. Here's the penance that you'll get, though. You will go to CVS, and you will buy me a new toothbrush, and you will leave it on the front step of the church rectory. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You will go and use that toothbrush. Oh, man. I know it's a, it's a, that's a ridiculous example, but I think, I mean, it's just like, it is meant to be, you're meant to have just like total trust and confidence that, that yeah, you can share everything, unfiltered details of all this stuff. Like, because it's not leaving that place. Like Jesus wanted it to be such a safe place for your heart because he's so desirous to heal the deepest places. And he knows how scared and skittish we are to come out from hiding and to like reveal that deep, deep place. That's what it means for the seal of confession. Often you hear people say like, why do I got to go to a priest to be forgiven? Like, can't God just forgive me of my sins? Okay. Like, can I just go straight to God? Yes, you can just go straight to God. But like, what if it's the case that Jesus set it up so that like he, like the means by which he desires for us to be forgiven is in this relational context. Like, here's what, here's what I mean. Like, why would Jesus insist that we be forgiven by going to a priest instead of just like sitting quietly in our like prayer space and saying, God, yeah, I did this again and I was mean to this and I was stole this, you know, but you forgive me, right? Right? That's, that's not how he set it up. He set it up this way, not to inflict pain upon us or shame, but because he knows us so well. He knows that we need confession because we're not angels. We're not angels. The thing that differentiates us from the angels is that we have bodies, right? We have bodies. We exist in time. We need to hear and experience forgiveness. We need to, like, we have this crazy thing as human beings that we have an interior world and an exterior world. So, like, right now, all of you, I have no idea what you're all thinking. Like, I can't look at you and, like, read your minds. There's an interiority to you, right? There's a depth to you. There's a hiddenness to you. But it can get externalized. Like, I'm externalizing my interiority by talking right now. Like, the hidden inner thoughts that I have are now suddenly out. They're externalized. They're, we can say it this way, they are sacramentalized. They're made present. They're made physical, for lack of a better term. Okay. Like, so often, we live in this posture of hiding. You see what's going on here? Right? Like, this is our world, especially like young people, teens, right? We live in this posture of hiding, like masking, covering over, pretending, and yet we carry so much stuff inside. We hide it, we spackle it, we shine it up, we whitewash it. And I say that because I'm a sinner. Like, I know it, and I'm a confessor. So often people treat confession like a spiritual laundromat. They think that when it comes to confession, like, oh man, like I did this and like, it's like I stained my soul. And the priest is holding the magic spiritual tied to go pen. Like, and he just like blots out the stain. Pope Francis here. Sin is more than a stain. Sin is a wound. It needs to be treated. It needs to be healed, right? It's so much deeper. A confession is about healing. 
Like only that which is revealed can be healed. Only that which is revealed can be healed. The healing comes when we find ourselves standing before the loving eyes of Jesus who sees us with all of our brokenness, all of our sinfulness, all of our woundedness exposed, warts and all, with all of our worst stuff out in the open. And he says, I love you. I forgive you. Like to look up and see Jesus being like, I, I still love you. This didn't disqualify you. Let's watch this scene. This is a scene from The Chosen where it depicts Mary Magdalene who, uh, Mary Magdalene has this sort of like relapse in this, in, this, in this episode where she kind of returns to her former way of life. And Matthew and, and Simon, they go into the town to find her and they bring her back to Jesus, not willingly. They bring her back to Jesus. Guys, this is, this is confession. And the woman who brings her, by the way, woman who brings her to Jesus right here in the tent is Jesus' mom. It's not you. There's quite a lot going on right now. Thank you. 
Look up. And we're so convinced, all of us, we're so convinced that when you come to confession, you're so convinced that when you look up, you're going to see a scowl. You're going to see a disappointed face. You're going to see something angry. But that's all Jesus is. All he is is a heart. All he can do is love. All he is is mercy. Look up, he says. He goes, I forgive you. I love the line, it is over. Like that stuff that you've just confessed, like that baggage that you've just dropped off, that you've carried your entire life, or that you've been carrying for all these months or all these years, whether it's that addiction to pornography, the addiction to masturbation, the, the affair, the abortion, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, whether it's the, the abuse the cruelty towards your spouse, cruelty towards neighbors. I haven't talked to this person in forever. The vilest, worst things that you can imagine that you've carried, this baggage you've been carrying this whole time. You leave it right there. It's like it's over. You don't get to carry that with you out. That's not yours anymore. Once you've said it to him, once you've given it to him, it's over. That doesn't belong to you anymore. Like the same God who brought a universe into being from nothingness takes our sins and uncreates them. They're gone. He doesn't remember. Only, the only one who remembers them is the enemy. So when after confession and when those sins start coming up again, say in the name of Jesus, I silence you. Those sins do not belong to you. My father's forgiven them. They're gone. They're absolutely gone. The healing comes. You saw it. The healing comes when we look up and we like let him in, when we let him see us, when we see ourselves being seen. That's when the healing comes. It's his eyes, it's his gaze that recreates, that restores, right? That recreates, that dispels the lie that we believe that we're only conditionally loved. And maybe this time I've just blown it. I've gone too far and there's no more mercy for me. And he's saying, no, no, look up, look up. Those eyes, man, those eyes. Mercy will always be greater than any sin. No one can put a limit on the love of the all-forgiving God. Just by looking at him, just raising our eyes from ourselves and our wounds, we leave an opening for the action of his grace. Jesus performs miracles with our sins, with what we are, with our nothingness, with our wretchedness. The church does not exist to condemn people, but to bring about an encounter with the visceral love of God's mercy. This is the visceral love of God's mercy. We're going to end with this. I invite you to close your eyes. Precisely because there is sin in the world, precisely because our human nature is wounded by original sin, 
God who delivered his son for us can only reveal himself as merciful. God is a careful and attentive father, ready to welcome any person who takes a step or even expresses the desire to take a step that leads home. He is there, staring out at the horizon, expecting us, waiting for us. No human sin, however serious, can prevail over or limit mercy. God, who is the father in the parable of the prodigal son, he waits always, and it is never too late. That's what he's like. That's how he is. He's a father, a father waiting at the doorway who sees us when we are still far off, who is moved and who comes running toward us, embraces us and kisses us tenderly. Our sin is like a jewel that we present to him to obtain the consolation of forgiveness. Giving a gift of jewels is a noble thing to do, and it is not a defeat, but a joyous victory to let God win. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for your mercy, this unbelievable, infinite ocean, inexhaustible fount of mercy that you move towards us in our weakness, you move towards us in our sinfulness and our brokenness. Ah, small, needy, and dependent hearts that just need healing, Lord. Jesus, help us as we move closer and closer to Easter to just hunger and thirst, to be totally honest, totally humble, Give us the courage to be totally spiritually naked for those of us who are coming to confession for the first time. To pull away all the fig leaves off of our heart and to let you see us, totally see us. So that in seeing you, seeing us, we would be recreated in your eyes. Jesus, you are so good and so beautiful. Thank you for your love and your goodness, your mercy.